Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Swim podcast. All right, how's it going? And welcome to episode number 40 of Someone Who Isn't Me. Um, my guest on Swim this time is Wade McNeil, Canadian songwriter, musician, and all round great human who's known for his work as one of the guitarists and vocalists in Alexis on Fire, frontman of Gallows and Black Lungs, and now the creative force behind his new project, Doom's Children. In this conversation, we talk about all those bands and the turbulence in Wade's personal life that led to him starting Doom's Children and the band's forthcoming self-titled album. I got to debut the single Flower Moon on the Rock Show back in May, which was a real treat. And um, and that song and video are now online, and it, I think, really gives a taste of what the album has to offer. Remember to hit subscribe to the pod in whichever platform you're using to listen to this. As all these episodes are free, you could also do us a small favour in return by you know, leaving a nice review and a comment and following the podcast at Swim Podcast on Instagram and Twitter. I don't spam on either of those, so it's not like you're going to get a ton of shit from me. Pretty much just news about when there's a new episode up or progress shots of me painting the cover image for each episode, I guess. Anyways, a follow always makes the numbers look good, eh? And that's clearly what life is about. This... (laughs) This is Someone Who Isn't Me, episode number 40 with Wade McNeil. Enjoy. How you doing then? I'm great. Good. Nice. You? Yeah, yeah. You know, it's just... uh, So I went through the whole lockdown mania and I feel like I've come out the other side of it and then started maybe dipping a toe back into that uh, weirdness. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I'm okay. Yeah, it's just a a weird time. You got that right. (laughs) (laughs) I've got uh, notes. But, so yes, I've made a few notes about stuff we can talk about. But I haven't seen or spoken to you in forever anyway. So I'd like to just do that, really. Great. And then we can can get on to some, like, business in a bit. So what's been going on? Well, you know, unfortunately, Canada has really mishandled COVID. So as of right now, it's uh, it's still, everything's completely locked down. Shops aren't open. We're on like a forced stay home order. And it's, uh, it's pretty fucked. I see. I, um, I'm surprised because I thought. I thought Canada was really good at stuff. 
So I thought, um, <laughs> so I, so I thought they'd have a, a good handle on it. The weird thing is, actually, I the other day when I was driving back from the show, I, I was listening to uh, Rogan, and I didn't realize Matty had done one. So I listened to Matty's one, yeah, and I was surprised to hear that it that him say that that's that was the situation there as well. Well, I think people have been doing their best, you know, and following all the suggestions and. Uh, but just the government just didn't get the vaccines. And so as much as people have, you know, stayed in when they've been told to stay in and tried to, you know, look out for each other, the cases would drop and then they'd flare up again. And it's been just back and forth for the last year and a half now. Oh, why? Have you not had any shots yet then? I finally got my first one a few days ago. Okay. So it feels like there's light light at the end of the tunnel now? Yeah, that's how I'm feeling. I feel like, whereas before when I was looking at shows and stuff in the, in calendars, I was just like, <laughs> no way. <That's>, <laughs> <laughs> that is an optimistic view of things. But I feel like now, yeah. I feel like now it's, it's looking like actually things like that are going to happen and are realistic. And But that might just be me, again, as I said, dipping into the, the uh, COVID mania. Yeah, it's funny. I mean, you know, I was I was super optimistic about uh, last summer. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> I don't know. At this point, just uh, cross my fingers. Yeah. See what happens. You know what's funny, right? Because I, I keep saying about, oh, you know, I'm really missing shows and I want to go to shows and stuff. And, and then like Tara will be like, you can't even be in the supermarket near anybody, let alone be at a show. And I'm just like, mm, yeah, maybe. And then I'm sure, I'm pretty sure it was you posted a picture from some gig only two years ago, probably, where you're, I think it was like a, maybe a maybe a gallo show, but you were like in the crowd, you know, it's like everybody's like climbing over each other, like a scene out of a, out of a zombie film and like screaming in a mic in your face. Yeah. And I just looked to that and, and the picture just gave me <laughs> mad anxiety. Just being like, what? I think the picture you're talking about uh, might have been, I don't know, maybe it was a gallows gig or like there was a, there was a photo somebody sent me of uh, when I did those Cancer Bats tours, when I filled in for Scotty. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I'm like on the floor. There's like people crowding around me. Like my guitar's up in the air. I'm kind of lost in this sea of humans <laughs> where people are just throwing beer on me and sweating on me yelling in my face and as you say like that seems like the most insane concept but what what tripped me out even more was i remember that show was uh you had to walk through the whole bar to get to the stage uh -huh. it was this cancer bat show in like uh interior british columbia in canada and, and so as i was walking down this staircase the, to the stage, there's a ton of people on the stairs to have a good view of the show, right? And as I was walking down the stairs, some girl like grabbed me and kissed me on the mouth. <laughs> Who'd probably had a few too many Jamesons. And then everyone that was around me kind of like looked like, oh, that was a bit weird. How's he going to react? So I just uh, grabbed the guy that she was with and kissed him on the mouth. <laughs> And then, and then the person standing next to him, like a step down on the stairs, kind of looked at me and put their hands up. And so I like, so I kissed him and this like 
led to a domino effect of me kissing a bunch of men and women I don't know on the lips on my way to the stage. And uh, so that's just how we were living, just in a carefree uh, society uh, before all this. And so that seems really nuts. Yeah, man, that's, that's, <laughs> I mean, that's wild at the best of times, but <laughs> how was that? I don't, I, I haven't really spoken to you since you did that. In fact, I'm, I feel like we haven't actually spoken. I mean, we've messaged, but it feels like it's been a minute. It's been a long time. Yeah. That was one of the things I wanted to ask you about. Like, how was that filling in for Scobie? Because like I know that your guitar playing from from everything else is very different from the way he plays. He's very super regimented and metal, whereas your yours playing is a lot more like punk rock and and uh, dynamic rather than not. I'm not that. No offense, Scobie. I don't mean that his playing isn't dynamic. It is, but do you know what I mean? There's, it's a very different way of playing. No, it's a very, very, very different way of playing. Um, so yeah, I mean. Learning those songs was a real trip. Um, and they wanted to learn a lot of songs too. So I had to learn something like 23 songs. And it was so funny. Like Liam from the Bats is so, so blase about the whole thing. He's like, ah, oh, you got it. And I was like, you have no fucking idea what Scott's doing to you. Um, but it was cool. He came over, showed me the songs. I started doing my homework on it. And uh, I'm really glad I learned those. I think it, it pushed my guitar playing to a to a new place and a different place. Yeah. You know, I still can't do those pig squeals like Scotty. Yeah. Um, but it did turn me into like a wah-wah guy. <laughs> and like everything I've been recording since then, just fucking wah city, baby. We should point out to anyone listening in Philadelphia, he means a wah-wah pedal rather than the gas station that serves delicious coffee. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> For uh, Pennsylvania listeners, yeah. I am talking about the pedal. <laughs> Um, so yeah, but it was, it was cool getting to do those gigs and, you know, I've known those guys for a long time and I enjoyed it. And I was also happy to just step in for Scotty when he needed to take some family time yeah. and be a dad and, uh, yeah, just keep his seat warm until he was back. Yeah. So it was cool. And, uh, and I think, yeah, most of all, it made a, made a big impact, a big impact on my guitar playing. And, and I just think maybe my writing, you know, I was scoring this film, at the time, at the same time, called Spare Parts. Yeah. This horror film. And, uh, man, there's a lot of, like, second Metallica record sounding stuff because <laughs> of me just being in the bat zone Yeah, at that time. And so, uh, you know, it's definitely, it leaked into my, like, creative ideas and stuff. And it was, it was cool to do. Yeah, that's awesome as well. Because I think, like, even though... I mean, we're we're friends with a bunch of people in in a ton of different bands and and hang with them all the time. But it's not until I guess you actually get to play with people like that 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 you suddenly feel that influence in 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 quite a, a different way. Do you know what I mean? Absolutely. Like being around people that in, in different in different music styles all the time will, will affect you, and it you know it affects your taste, and you get to hear a bunch of more different stuff. But yeah, I think playing it is is pretty wild. And without and without having to learn those songs, I don't think I would have ever forced myself to play the guitar like that. Mm. Like, you know, as you said, like the stuff I like is more like punk and rock and roll and like even the 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 solos I like are 
are more vibey blues solos. So that's the stuff I've been drawn to and the stuff I kind of play yeah. in all my other projects. And so I would have never taken the time to just be like, rip a fucking gnarly fretboard run, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, uh, but now I can. But do you think that's going to like have a, a lasting impact? Because I mean, we'll, we'll talk about, um, Dooms children in a, in a bit, but do you think that'll affect other things in in writing and whatnot? I guess it, you said it did in the in the score work. So, I think it's affected everything that I've done since. You know, I think um, it, it initially, you know, it crept into that score for spare parts, but uh, I think the way it pushed me as a player. Um, it certainly opened up some different territory. Like even on the, the Dooms Children record, the even though the soloing is more like bluesy and stuff, it's it's probably a little bit shreddier thanks to Scotty. Amazing. How'd you get into doing the scoring stuff, by the way? I met the actor Jay Baruchel. Yeah. He had been to a bunch of Alexis on Fire concerts. And I had said something nice about uh, the hockey film Goon that he made. Yeah. In uh, in some press I did. And he uh, reached out to me and uh, just said, hey, like, I've seen you guys play a bunch of times in Montreal. I'm a big fan of your music. Like, thank you for the kind words about my film. Uh, if you're ever in Montreal in the future, I don't know if you're a hockey fan, but, like, let's go watch a game. And... Uh, so we did just that. When I was in Montreal, like about a month after this, I like went to his house. He ordered pizza and we like watched the Habs play. And uh, he's just the most down to earth dude. And uh, also like a really big music fan. Like he's really, you know, I think people might be surprised that, you know, for a guy that's been in a lot of romantic comedies, yeah, he like loves industrial music you know he's like a he's a huge skinny puppy fan yeah um so you know he asked me to work on music for the sequel to goon goon last the enforcers yeah you know at first it was can you maybe do a few songs for the in arena music and then he was really really thrilled with those and that just grew into you know me maybe doing about a half an hour's worth of music for that film Rad. And then by the end of that project, he, you know, he'd asked me to work on his next film, Random Acts of Violence. And, uh, you know, he just kind of said, the more we hung out and talked about the music, he was just like, you're the guy that does the music for my films now. That's and he's, uh, he's a, he's just like, he's a lovely guy. He's a really talented guy. And he's very interested in like, supporting his friends and like having a crew of people that work together all the time. And, uh, so he's, I'm glad to be on the team. Yeah. That's awesome, man. It's funny, isn't it? Cause I started thinking about this, right? So just about reached the 20th anniversary of Alexis, you know, you made the, the self title when you were like, what you were a teenager, 17. Yeah. yeah. And at no point, I doubt when you were making that record, you, was anyone expecting to end up within four records time three no yeah four records time of being like this arena band huge i mean the band's no it was completely un. it was a completely unheard of i think for well it just didn't seem like a, a reality yeah the bands that i liked 
Um, we're playing smaller shows. Even the bigger punk bands, the shows weren't big mm. when I was a teenager. You know, maybe I'd go see like Rancid and there'd be a thousand people there. And I was like, this is crazy. Yeah. I can't believe there's this many people here that have this record. Um, but most of the shows I was going to were 50 to 75 people. Mm-hmm. I lived in a small town, you know, an hour and a half outside of Toronto. And um, that was the norm. And especially when I started digging deeper into, you know, hardcore or, or screamo or um, just kind of more outsider music. Those shows got even smaller. The screamo bands I was going to see in Buffalo or the power violence bands, they're playing in, you know, people's basements to 30 people. Yeah. And those were the bands that I wanted to sound like when we started Alexis. That's the community I wanted to be a part of and play at those house shows. Yeah. And the beginning of the band, that's what we were doing. What bands, what kind of bands were were those then? Page 99... Uh, Seisha, Love Lost But Not Forgotten, Orchid. Yeah. Uh, the kind of, uh, the wave of Screamo, a lot of the stuff that came out on Level Plane Records that kind of existed before we started playing. So the late 90s wave of it. Uh, Joshua Fit for Battle. Um, stuff that sounded, you know, when they turned on the distortion pedals was just inaudible white noise. And then they turned them off and their clean tones were louder than the distortion. And, uh, yeah, I loved it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that whole era as well. I think the thing is as well, that growing up in that scene informs you for life as, as far as not just you like your musical tastes, but your entire approach to everything, I think. And it can be a little, um, constricting at times that, and, and there have been plenty of times for me where I would be, you know, playing in bands that started to do well and, and it would I would beat myself up over it. Just be like, oh, no, imagine if Swing Kids knew about this. <laughs> do you know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> do you know what I mean, though? That whole kind of um, mentality. A hundred percent. I think with, with the... It's such a double-edged sword. It certainly is. It certainly informed, you know, by me getting certain crass... And Dead Kennedy's records when I was 14 and being involved in skateboarding and the people I met that also had those records that skated, it provided me with a ton of ideas. And a lot of that is, you know, a huge foundational part of who I am today and how I met the people that are the closest people in my life and still are. But as you said, there are, there are some restricting ideas in there that you know you know don't necessarily jive with adulthood or uh supporting yourself as a musician or or many things or or happiness yeah um so there's certain things i've had to abandon um but there's a lot of it that i think i've tried to stay true to but to what you said you know if oh man if swing kids knew about this i know there was when alexis started gaining popularity i think all of us in the band coming from those communities uh started you know feeling differently about the band yeah feeling maybe like our contribution to music 
wasn't as worthwhile because it was popular. And I think that's an idea I may have, you know, carried for a long time. Yeah. I think that's probably to our own detriment. Yeah. Yeah. I, I agree. And I think um, for a lot of bands that have come from our world that have success, I mean, any kind of guitar music, that is a certain thing, I think. And, and it is, um, it's almost like this form of guilt that can really, <laughs> it's, a, it's a bizarre thing, isn't it? That any kind of success, because the whole thing about selling out was such an in, a thing that was ingrained in people in, in, in like hardcore and punk rock and metal. That it, yeah, would just twist you up in knots. And it's such a weird thing as well, because everyone that kind of set those rules and lived by those parameters and, and as we were, I'm sure the same for you, I don't know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, but when you grow up, you, those, you kind of set that as a template against what it is you're doing because the idea that you could ever end up doing an arena tour within the space of a few records, that wasn't a thing. So, so it's only then that you suddenly go, actually, all these kind of weird things I set myself, which were limiting, are kind of garbage. And it, it, it's great to have them and have integrity, but you can, do, you can have those things and be successful and appeal to a bunch of people at the same time, you know. Um, and I think the bands that do manage to do that, that make music that, that they've stayed true to and have become massive bands... I've got nothing but respect for because it's it's such a a balancing act to to achieve those two things, right? Big time, yeah. I think all, it kind of boils down to sincerity. Yeah. You know, you can really you can really tell when a band means it. You know, and I think no matter what type of music they're playing, you can tell if it's real or if it's a put on. Yeah. And so I think I've got respect for any band that's sticking to their guns in that respect. You know, if they're, no matter what it sounds like, if that's, if that's, you know, the, if what they're putting out is what they think is the pinnacle of art and culture and this rips and we love this and standing behind it, you know, that's what people connect with. Yeah. And that's what I think is a real, uh, you know, can be difficult. And, you know, there's a lot of bands that choose to go another way uh, and start trying to write for what they think people want. And that's when, that's when you lose me. Yeah. Yeah. That's when I gave away most of my soul. <laughs> <laughs> which is why I'm so desperate to cling on to what little I have left. <laughs> but, but yeah, it's, it's a weird one, isn't it? To, to, um, see, that's the thing about with, with Alexis was that I think you achieved all those things you, you achieved, especially in, in Canada, you know, huge success making great records that, that were super honest and, ticked all the boxes of everything that we've just been talking about and then just to go yeah look I think that's that's us now let's just call it a day to when that first happened yeah like 2012 right how how did that feel then 
because it is a rare thing to be able to get to that point, I think. Um, so to walk away from that must have been... It was probably... Uh, I think when we had the discussion about calling it a day mm. was one of the worst days of my life. Yeah, I'll bet. And I think, and I think every one of the five of us would say the same thing. Uh, we all felt differently about it. We all um, had different things going on in our lives. But uh, yeah, it was very, very, very difficult because it had been something I'd been doing since I was 17. It was something I was doing nonstop for so long. I mean, the first, at least, you know, five, six years of the band, we probably played more than 300 shows a year. Like, we toured nonstop. We just lived in a van. We just played all the time. And I, there's nothing else any of us wanted to do. Mm. And then we kind of came off the road after crisis and, and life kind of crept in a little bit. Yeah. You know, this had just been, we'd been kind of, we put a pin in all of it and we were working so hard and playing all the time. It didn't feel like hard work. It felt like, our life and uh well that's the thing isn't it because i think i think the amount of work that goes into it is exceptional and and it and the amount of hours and dedication that goes into making a band work is ridiculously hard work but but it's i don't think you really consider those things it's not until you step away from it, how it is for me, how it was for me, was you don't, you don't consider the things that you've sacrificed to be sacrifices because you're doing the thing that you wanted to do. And that was just, that was just what you did to get, get to do those things. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, especially because we started touring really heavily so quick, like the moment I graduated high school, we started touring full time. <laughs> and so nuts, I mean especially like at that age you know what else would I want to be doing yeah and uh yeah but there is a lot of sacrifice and there's a lot of yeah I mean everything is secondary to doing yeah. it yeah and uh it's difficult and there's a lot of rough spots and tough decisions to make and uh but none of it as you kind of just spoke to really feels like a sacrifice. Mm. Maybe, maybe in hindsight, some of it does. Yeah. Uh, but only in hindsight, only when I was able to step away from it, maybe. And we'd finally called it a day and finally played, you know, the farewell shows that maybe I was able to see a bit of the, the band as it actually was. I think the thing now is, like I said this to um, Ben and also Greg from Dillinger, that when they when they walked away and they were like, we're done, we're, we're putting a pin in it, it's done. I was like, yeah, what, four years? I give it four years, right? And they're like, no, 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 we're done, we're done. Because I, I feel like a lot of bands in in our world really develop like a, a huge, like an, an extra fan base almost when it's done because there's a lot of kids that might not have been there for the first time round, and yet they'll get into a bunch of new bands and like young bands coming through. And I think that the, 
the influence of Alexis on a ton of bands that have come through in the last sort of five, six years is, is massive. So it's only kind of after the fact that even regardless of how big a band gets, it's after the fact they suddenly, you know, that there's certain bands will have this swell and then it's like, inevitably they come back. But when you, when you guys all kind of were like, right, this is it. Let's, let's call this now. Did everyone feel that that was, was there any kind of like in the back of everyone's mind? Oh, but we maybe we'll reconvene or was it actually like, that's it. We're done. It was, that's, that's it. A hundred percent. Um, and, uh, yeah, it, it had felt like it had run its course and we felt really lucky that we, you know, cause we, we said it was over and then we didn't do a last tour or anything like that. Mm. And, you know, we started talking a little bit more and thought, let's actually give this a send off that it deserves. And by taking a little bit of time and doing that, it allowed us to end things on a positive note, like personally and, you know, with the band. And so when we were playing those final shows, uh, everyone felt good about putting it to bed. And there was no thought in, I think, any of our minds that it would be happening again, you know? we were moving on and we were happy about that. And, uh, yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, so like three years passed though. And then everybody kind of reconvenes. How was, um, and it's funny, isn't it? To say three years, because I feel like this last year and a half has, as kind of for a lot of people has gone super quick, not for everyone, obviously, but it feels like, I don't know if it's because I'm getting older or because of the repetition of, of what this year has been, but like a year and a half has gone in, 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 a, in the blink of an eye. But I think stepping away from something that's been the main thing in your life, three years must have felt like a, like a really long time I would have imagined. So what, how did that, how did that, um how did you like the subject then get broached about, about, kind of reconvening and 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 not just like playing shows because you know we've had three new songs right familiar yep. drugs complicit and season of the flood so we won't get into what that might mean for the future but like those songs exist now and they've been shows since so how was what was what was that that sort of period where the band was done like and then and then how did it then suddenly recome about Cause I mean, you know, we all, we all stepped away from it. And I think, uh, as I said, on a positive note, which I think is the most important thing. Cause a lot of bands don't get to do that kind of goes out in a fiery blaze. And, uh, so, you know, in that time when we weren't playing, which I think like from the time we, we announced we were breaking up to us starting to play again was probably about five years. Oh, okay. But I guess we did the, the final shows like maybe after a year of us breaking up or something. So, um, so in that time, you know, we were seeing each other, we were hanging out. How, how different was and it? Was it different? It was different. Um, and, but I think as more time went on, you know, we, we started enjoying seeing each other and like, 
more and more and it was it was nice and we just kind of you know remember remember why we started it and why we're all friends in the first place and yeah i mean we were all buddies that just like we used to go to shows together and like uh and then it kind of got to a point where i don't know what kicked it off exactly i think dow maybe was on tour with city and color and he uh sent us a text message about how he just had this like long conversation in in Melbourne with some guy that loved the band and just, you know, wanted to let everyone know and how like a, such a nice moment it was. And uh, we all kind of started sharing stories like that mm. about these interactions we'd had with running into fans. And, and then we were all at a Riot Fest, Toronto. And Dow was playing with City and Color, and we were all hanging out. And he was like, why don't we just play? Like, like, why don't we just go play? We'll just go do an Alexis set right now. Like, I won't do any City and Color songs. Like, we'll just do a surprise set. It'd blow everyone's goddamn minds. <laughs> and we all, <laughs> like, seriously thought about it for about 10 minutes. We're like... Yeah, I, th- I think we could do this. Let's, <laughs> let's let's do this. No rehearsals. And then and then Steele, our bass player, was like the one voice of reason. <laughs> was like, we haven't played in five years. We're we gonna we're gonna blow. We're gonna just what? We're gonna go blow this right now. <laughs> I know we've all had a nice day hanging out, but <laughs> come voice on, of reason, <laughs> dudes. And so we're like, all right. And then um. A few months later, we got an offer to play that festival, which is a weird thing that happens. Your band breaks up, but people never stop offering you shows. Hmm. Um, so we got an offer to play Riot Fest the following year, and we we're like, well, we almost did it <laughs> a week ago. And, you know, so maybe we should do it next year, and we'll practice and do it. And so that kind of opened the door back up to us doing some gigs and... It's just been these these steps forward each time we we do the band where we enjoy it a little bit more. The shows keep getting better too, which is crazy. The crowds keep getting bigger and and so we keep doing a little bit more and a little bit more and uh um being able to like rehearse and hang out through COVID a little bit has been one of the big blessings of making me feel somewhat normal yeah uh during this time and so you know i know for sure when we can when we can we have the opportunity we're definitely going to go out and do some more shows that rules like i said we've, we've got like those three songs so how was that because that's an inevitability almost isn't it this is one thing that i find quite weird with 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 bands that um that have had like a like a hiatus i guess and then come back and they'll start playing shows and and it's almost like how are you not how are you not writing new songs or or why are we not hearing them and and i think that's because that that yeah it just feels like i'm sure how did you get to the point where from going like okay yeah let's let's rehearse let's let's get some stuff done let's do some shows to somebody just going oh by the way i got this and then and then that's when it all starts well, Familiar Drugs has been like the sound check riff okay. for about 10 years. 
<laughs> and uh, it's like, I don't know, whatever we were calling it, Dal's Doom Song or something. Yeah. And uh, so I don't know. I think, you know, he just, one of us started playing the riff at practice and it really fell into place quickly. And then uh, the other two, similarly, like, you know, there's a, there's a reason we played so many shows for so long and made so many records together. It's, there's something special when the five of us play together. Yeah. And uh, so I think just organically, like everything else that's happened with the band since we found our way back to doing it, uh, we just started playing those songs. And, uh, and also just, I think there was a sense of, you know, we've been, we've been playing some shows and they've been great, but I certainly, I don't think we certainly didn't want people to feel like we were on some sort of like nostalgia trip, you know, like I feel yeah like we have, you know, we have more, we have more creative ideas inside of us and want to share them with the people that fuck with this band. Yeah, for sure. Because there wouldn't be any new songs if it was just that, I think. So, so that box is already like, you know, no one, I don't think anyone is, is looking at it that way because there's new music, you know, you, I mean, you, you were doing gallows by that point before the band called it, right? I was. Yeah. Yeah. It was like 2011. So how, how was that? Because I remember when, you know, I felt like I had a really good relationship with that band and like that, that whole camp in general. So that when when Frank was like, right, I'm done. I mean, it kind of made sense, I think, because it, it felt like he was constantly, that felt like that was coming at any point anyway. I'm sure it did several yeah, times. Yeah, man. I mean, like I, I met Frank and I was like, you know, the first time I saw him, I was like, great show. And he's like, yeah, 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 I'm quitting. <laughs> you know, like, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, it wasn't a fucking surprise. Um, yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean... I think it all, it all fell into place. Like, uh, I was on tour with fucked up black lungs was on a, a fucked up tour in England. Yeah. And I asked them to play. I called Frank and I said, I'm doing a show at old blue last, like on a day off from the fucked up tour. Do you guys want to do a surprise set? And he was like, yeah. And the dudes came down and played and I played like a few songs in the set, just singing like not playing guitar. And I think that was maybe where it popped into Lags's head that maybe I could be the dude because, you know, I didn't know at that point, but, you know, they talked about it. They knew they were doing their final tour. Um, and then uh, they reached out and said, I don't know what you're doing. And I said, well, actually, Alexis is calling it a day as well. And like a week later, I was on a plane <laughs> flying over, like trying to learn the lyrics. <laughs> wow. Just unrelenting. Pretty much, yeah. How was that for you coming into that? Because the thing that, that I felt at the time with, with that band was when they first came out, I was like, this is fucking great. This feels like a load of bands that really that I love and it's legit and the songs are amazing and the shows are incredible. It felt like for, you know, there was that kind of media whirlwind around the band. But as is often the case, it's all about the singer. And it and it felt like it felt like such a weird one because that whole band is is ripping. A hundred percent, yeah. You know, so t- so it must have so it must have been weird like coming into that 
I don't. I know this is kind of old ground for you to to talk about, but I'm. I don't know if we've ever talked about it. Probably not. I mean, I think probably at the time, right when I first joined, I probably didn't want to talk about it. Yeah. You know, I just wanted to focus on the future of what we were going to do. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I mean, certainly. Uh, yeah, there was such a there was such a media frenzy around that band. You know, like. Mm. Like Enemy was calling them the fucking the coolest band in the world or the most dangerous band in the world or whatever. And but I think for people that liked the band, the only thing I didn't like about Gallows was all the the interviews. <laughs> you know? <laughs> like you saw the band and you were like, these guys are nuts. The tunes are cool. Yeah. The shows are great. They're a mess. I love it. And then, you know, it's like, what I didn't love is like someone being like, these guys are the new Sex Pistols. Yeah. I'm like, are they? Are they? <laughs> um, <laughs> so, yeah. so like, there was a certain part of me that was, you know, I, I loved the band and the dudes were my buddies that I'd see every time I was in the UK. And uh, so there was, there was a one part where I was thrilled to do it to go write a bunch of songs with guys that were my friends that I knew we could write some gnarly punk songs. Um, But there was the other part where there was, there was the media circus aspect of it where because Frank was such an integral, like part of the, the circus that surrounded it. Yeah. I did step into that. And there was a focus on me being that guy and I don't know. Yeah. And the, is there going to be the sensationalism of it? And what do I have to say? And doing a ton of press and like, you know, the comparisons and the, and everything that surrounded it. So that was, that was new for me because as much as I was, uh, you know, someone that, you know, conceptually like, put Alexis together was one of the main songwriters and contributors to the, a lot of the band. It's never really something that got talked about in the press. And I don't know if, I don't know if at that point people understood that that was one of my roles in the band Hmm. because I wasn't one of the two more main singers. Right. Um, So I think there was a certain degree of maybe skepticism of if I could do it. And, uh... Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. 
In four weeks, the typical new user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Maybe more so from a media, once again, like a media thing, like, will he be able to do it? Whereas, like, I think a lot of people that just, like, liked Gallows um, and that are involved in the punk and hardcore community, you know, we, we've seen a lot of people smash their heads in with a microphone and stage dive and, and like, and no disrespect to Frank because he was a, he's a great front man for that band. Yeah. A big part of what I loved to that band. But for me joining, like in terms of doing the shows, I was like, yeah, I can, I'm going to fucking kill this. Yeah. And I think you did. So like, there, thank you. You know, straight, straight off the bat, like from, from the first EP. And I think across that EP and the two albums, it's like, Definitely some of the best songs the band has ever done, I think, personally. I I was real I was really proud of of what we managed to accomplish on those records and especially the the self titled is you know the the music that I that I was obsessed with when I was younger and, and still kind of moves me the most to this day is really aggressive punk stuff. It's yeah. it's what I love the most and and I've always been in a bands that you know, have been these big collaborative efforts, and and certainly, you know, the the records I made with Gallows were a were a large collaborative effort of everyone's ideas, but we were very much on the same page, and trying to make like something that was just like just a violent burst of music that clocks in around thirty minutes and is just unrelenting, and so I was really you know so thrilled i got to make that record with that band Mm. and uh and yeah i'm I'm very very proud of those records especially that first one it's a very concise uh burst of violence yeah but i like i like the fact that desolation sounds brings in a bunch of other stuff that i know you well we all like as well you know and i think that when those sort of like darker more sort of not post-rock or goth but do you know what i mean that kind of 80s era of punk where it was like killing joke and early cure when those sort of things started coming into it as well plus i'm always a sucker for some mystical lyrics <laughs> <laughs> you know me yeah um I've, i think it's really exciting that is one thing that i think is amazing as well because when you started bringing that element in there because i think that was starting to come through anyway but, you know, like as, as soon as you start having things like Cross of Lorraine and Carl Mary and, and then like 93, 93, it, it's so over. Well, we talked a lot about, you know, uh, as you mentioned earlier in the podcast, we've been buddies for a long time. But, uh, you know, you and me have been to a variety of occult bookstores together. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we share a lot of like interest in, I think, a lot of the same art and culture and literature and a lot of that is you know very mystical and you know magic based yeah and certainly at that time i was really deep into you know reading a lot of that and thought it was the perfect place to you know use a lot of those ideas and especially with the second record um, I was really deep into it at that point. I know yeah. we talked a lot and, you know, I, I talked about even just trying to, to weave some actual 
magic into the session. And, uh, and I do feel like, uh, you know, like a song like 9393, which is, uh, based off, like the lyrics are based off of like a sex magic ritual. Uh, I do feel like the, uh, manifestation of what I imagined the energy of that song and what that would put out into the world. Like, I feel like it was realized when we did the first London show on that record. Like I felt like I could feel the room change Yeah, when we played that song. And I, 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 yeah. So I'm, I'm glad I feel like I went that deep into it with that. And uh, I'm glad we're talking about it now. Cause I don't think I've ever discussed this in any capacity. Yeah, well, I think I think the thing is, we, I mean, we both know because we've, as you've said, we, we're both into a lot of similar things. But I think all art is exactly that. It is magic. And, and I think that as soon as it is, it's cool when when people are just doing it and you can feel it within their work, be it visual art or music or whatever it is they do. I mean, it can be really mundane things as well just but but as soon as like there's some form of ritual within it and um intention you can feel that come through and and a lot of a lot of great bands that we love have that and aren't aware that that is or don't want to put that label on it or don't even think about it think all that stuff's like for like just woo woo and don't care but then there's those artists that I love do realize that and align it with those things or see the similarity with what they're doing and the effects that their art can have with these ideas and 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 they head down that road a bit more and i feel like you can feel that more it resonates more because the intention changes do you know what i mean it's like you know as soon as bowie started getting into that stuff you could feel it i think in his work and and um i don't know Maybe I'm just rambling, but I feel like as soon as you, I, I certainly, I know, I, I certainly think you can, and um, I think the the stuff that I'm drawn to the most is where people have kind of done it, yeah, have have, have went have went deep on it, yeah, and uh, but yeah, I don't know, I, w- I want to touch back on what you said about just in terms of you know the creation of all art is magic, and there really is something to that. I mean. You know, the way I write music is I'm hearing something. I'm I'm always hearing something that isn't there, mm. and you know, like my main, you know, my main means of writing stuff is playing guitar, and just like I hear, I've always heard these melodies in my head, and I'm trying, and I'm trying to figure it out. I'm trying to you know put this song together that I that I can't really explain why it's right or why it needs to be a certain way other than that's the way I'm hearing it in my mind. And I'm trying to get that out and and put that on a record or create that live. And uh, I think, you know, the, the longer I do it, the, the closer I'm getting to actually getting it to be the way that I'm actually hearing it. Yeah. And I think it's a, it's a lifelong like pursuit of trying to really keep, keep trying to do that. But I don't know. I mean, that does sound like magic to me. 
Well, is I mean, look. Something that you don't know where you're you're getting it or where you're feeling it from and you're 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 creating it out of nothing and and making it and putting it out into the world. And not only that, that when you put it then out into the world, you can be on the other side of the planet from the person that's then experiencing that in a, in some way and it moves them emotionally. It affects their entire being. That's pretty special, right? If you think that, you know, somebody that you would have no relationship with other than them listening to something you've done or looking at something that somebody's made and they have an emotional response to it and it resonates with them. That's that's pretty magical. Even if you want to write that off and go, no, that's not magic. That's just people being like, like emotionally responding to something. But, okay, fine. However you want to dress it up, that's pretty special, I think. I think so. And, I mean, you know, I, I think... Uh... Like someone like George from Alexis would, if he was, you know, the the third person in this conversation, he'd be like, you guys are out of your fucking minds. <laughs> but I've seen George stand at the front of a stage and just stare at the audience intensely and make a group of 100,000 people start going crazy. Without saying anything, without moving that much, uh, and uh, like I'm getting a little bit emotional thinking about it. Mm. It's really intense. Yeah. And I mean, I don't know. That's like that feels like magic. Yeah, I agree. He'd he'd say you're a fucking hippie, Wade. Chill out. <laughs> but uh, I think it's like, <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's what we're trying to do. Yeah, for sure. And I th- I think it's funny when you say about like when you're writing and, and you're like, no, these are the things that I'm hearing in my head. That's that's something that I always personally, when I'd be collaborating with other people in a band, that's something I'd, I'd almost struggle with because they'd be like, oh, yeah, and what about this? And I'll do this or this can be the next part. And I'd be like, no, 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 no that's not how it goes. And they'll be like, what do you mean how it goes? It isn't it doesn't exist yet. And I'm like, it kind of does. <laughs> we're, we're literally, <laughs> we're just chipping away at the block until we find like the sculpture inside it almost. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's quite weird. But then again, I am a hippie. <laughs> I know I've had this conversation with the Gallows dudes when we were writing and I, you know, and I just said like, please bear with me, but it's just not right. And I can't explain to you why it isn't. And I can't offer any suggestions right now as to how to get it there. But please just trust me that this isn't it. Yeah. Which is a crazy thing to say to a room full of people. But those dudes were, you know, like, they'd be like, okay. Yeah, because I think, I'm not not sure if, I remember them doing a show in in London and I'm guessing it was, yeah, you must have been in the band by this point, I think. Yeah, and they they had the like this weird. It wasn't intro music. It was like layers of of sound of really distressing things. Like, were you in the band at that point? I don't remember. I don't know. Sounds like a thing we would have been onto. I think yeah, it was definitely a stew thing. <laughs> but it made me it made me think about. Um, like and and the whole thing was that it was just to create this air of unease 
and and get people like they they couldn't work out why but they were made to feel super uncomfortable and it was really oppressive and then the band would come on and it would be like that's got stew written all over it yeah exactly and i remember i remember playing that's with stew that's that you could describe stew like that yeah exactly <laughs> i remember godflesh doing a similar thing i played with them a lot, like years and years and years ago and and probably like 10 minutes 15 minutes before they came on they just played this like this mechanical noise and it just went on for like 10 or 15 minutes and it was just like putting people on edge and I I remember yeah I remember Gallows doing that and that made me think of this um I remember reading an interview uh, with William Burroughs where he was talking about how he'd I think it was like a cafe that he'd gone in and he felt and they'd done something where they disrespected him or been really rude to him and and kind of manhandled him out of the cafe or something like that or a store. So for the next week, he sat with like a little tape recorder. I think he had a couple of tape recorders and every time there was something really harrowing on the news, (laughs) he would record it and and then keep that and then another thing would come on and he'd play the original thing back and tape another thing on as well. So he had this just like, it ended up with like layers of almost like of this cacophony of misery that, that he'd collect all these kind of weird news stories. And then he walked backwards and forwards outside the front of the store, just playing it quietly over and over and over, over this period of time. And then it, and then the store, like the whole thing collapsed and like the, the, it shut and, and the people moved away, and, and he was like, yeah, job done. <laughs> wow. Yeah, right? It's a great story. But, um, yeah, it made me think of that anyway. So, <laughs> so that was that. Um, it's an incredible level of spite. Yeah, right? I applaud it, but I hope <laughs> I can just let it go. <laughs> you know? Yeah, I, I, I know what you mean. I just feel like those those kind of things don't always work out great from experience. But, um, yeah, anyway. Um, so <laughs> so let, let's talk about, as we've kind of touched on subjects where a lot of people would go, what a couple of hippies. Uh, let's talk about Doom's children. <laughs> oh, my God. The perfect, the perfect transition, Dan. You know, like I said to you earlier, I've been listening to the record a lot. And um, it's such a... Uh, on the surface of it, it feels like such a left turn. And I think if if you played it to someone, if I played that record, right, to somebody who we didn't know, who wasn't a mutual acquaintance, that hadn't grown up in our world, they'd just be like, yeah, this is awesome, right? And then you'd be like, oh, and these are his other bands. And, and you play a selection of stuff from other stuff that you've done, like Black Lungs and Gallows and, and Alexis. And I think that would people would would have a hard time kind of equating that like when when i've listened to it i feel like um even though it is i guess if i hate labeling things but if we're going to this kind of sort of psych folk alt record you can still aside from obviously knowing you've made it and it's your voice I can feel your essence within it anyway. And part of your essence is the fact that you have come from this world of, of punk rock. And it, and I feel that in there, in the honesty of it, but also then there are still those little, 
like little moments where it's like do you know what I mean? Like a little ah, there it is. Like in Lotus Eater, when when there's the misfits, the lyric from Where Eagles Dare, you go, yeah, this yeah, guy that's knows. in there. This, yeah, it's like ah, this. I snuck that in there. Yeah, yeah. This guy knows his punk rock, obviously. I think uh, I think the I've started sharing it with uh, uh, some friends, some close friends, you know. Hmm. And uh, I sent it to uh, Ben that plays with Chelsea Wolf. Yeah, and uh, he uh, yeah he actually messaged me and said it's a great record as well. He wrote me back and said, uh, "It sounds like the Grateful Dead played by punks." Uh, there you go, man. If that if that could be on like the sticker <laughs> <laughs> that's on the front of the record, that would make me very very happy. So it's interesting to hear that you've picked up on that as well. Yeah, I don't know. I think it all kind of came together out of. Personally, the last few years have been very, very difficult for me. Mm. Uh, I feel like my life kind of started falling apart. And I moved away from listening to a lot of aggressive music in that time because honestly, I felt too depressed and it was not helping. Mm. And uh, I kind of around that time found The Grateful Dead. And started listening to that nonstop. And it was a little thing, but it kind of, it was like a little bit of light in my life. And I kind of pretty much only listened to it for about a year. How did you get to that point? Like, how how are they the band that are the, almost like the lifeline to things? How did you settle on them? How did that come about? I think I've listened to a ton of music that is adjacent to the band for years, you know, like yeah, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young, and yeah, uh, Bob Dylan, and you know, a bunch of bands that the Allman Brothers, a bunch of bands that would tour with them a lot, hmm. um, that were part of that community. But I'd never really checked them out. I was just, you know, I everyone I had a Grateful Dead shirt when I was a kid. Didn't even know what it was. Yeah. Um, and everyone is aware of the band, but I think a lot of people don't know what it sounds like. Yeah. And I was one of those people. I am. I am. I was a sound. I always just. I always imagined it would sound like Pink Floyd, or something like super drugged out. You know, vibey guitar solo stuff, and and I was pleasantly surprised <laughs> to find that it sounds like very nice folky Americana stuff. Mm. And I don't know what it was about that time or the records that it just really kind of started to click with me. And uh, I was writing a lot of songs about the kind of tumultuous time that I was going through in my life. And uh, as I listened to More and More Dead, I, I wanted to try and write some songs that sounded nice. And, you know, there's a certain challenge in that because I'd never done it before. Mm. And, uh, and yeah, and I just kind of, it's a deep wormhole, the Grateful Dead, you know, there's a lot yeah. to dive into. And I just, I became increasingly obsessed with it. And I think it certainly informed the way I approached writing these songs and making these records and, and kind of helped with a lot of those creative choices. And, uh, yeah. Yeah, because I, I... Now I'm a full-on fucking hippie. 
<laughs> yeah, all punks become hippies, which is funny because, well, not all of them, but a lot, I think. It, it's a funny one because because I don't know the dead. When I listened to the record, I was like, oh, it makes me think of, like, it really makes me think of Neil Young in places. And I don't know if that's because, and this sounds so stupid, because I'm a guy that lives near London on the other side of the world that as soon as I hear the word Ontario mentioned, like that place mentioned in a song, I'm like, oh, the, the only connection I have to this is is this, right, is Neil Young. But I feel, I feel like that's not that weird a, a comparison because it feels like that to me, those kind of artists, like you said, like Crosby, Stills, Nash and & Young and, and, and that whole era. But the record doesn't feel like someone trying a hat on for size do you know what i mean well that's good to hear and i mean yeah you know neil's neil's one of our best well yeah undoubtedly so you know i think as a as a as a canadian you know that's you know those songs even if you even if you're trying to not hear them yeah uh and so there's i don't think there's you know me picking up an acoustic guitar and playing it thinking how do you know how do you play this thing i'm I'm sure that's in the back of my mind because mm. that's what I'm trying to play like. And, you know, I mean, I, I absolutely love his records and that's a, certainly a, a touchstone in, you know, trying to put together these songs and putting songs together too that uh, as much as they can be expanded upon, and this record is, you know, there's a lot of stuff going on, but they all started on me playing an acoustic guitar and they can all be played very simplistically. Mm. But I think it's a super heavy record. It's one of the heaviest records you've you've done, I think. It's really heavy, and uh, it's um, yeah. I don't think I've ever been so honest or or upfront about mm. things in my lyrics or my songwriting. Uh, maybe I kind of hide it a little bit in the language or try and cloak it in some way. And uh, why do you think it is that you, you you can do that now, though? I think I thought it. I think I thought it might help. Yeah. In terms of dealing with dealing with life, mm. dealing with the things I was going through, to actually, I think a lot of the things that happened to me in the last few years, I I worked out by writing the songs. Yeah. And thinking about them, and and like putting like pen to page. And, uh, yeah, it was like, a there was a way to keep going forward. Mm. Yeah. Cause I, I, I think, you know, as we, as we've said already, like making art is a magical thing, but it's also, you know, it, it almost, and I don't want to say like, it feels like it's, it gets bandied around like a cliche, but, uh, but making things is a truly cathartic process. And I think that when, when you go through a, a lot of stuff and you're having to deal with things and you're an artist, that is the most obvious way to, to help to um, like throw something into the future of where you want to go and come out the other side of it. Do you know what I mean? But at the same time, it can be a really tough process because I don't know how you are, but, but I think it's a very male thing to just, 
when everything is building up in life and, and you, you kind of like, yeah, I can take that. I can take that. I can take that. And you keep building and building and taking all on all these things on top of yourself until one point where it just splits open and it all goes to shit. And sometimes making art can be almost like just a paper over the crack. But at the same time, when you know it's real and, and it's, and it's used as a tool almost like if, like I feel like you're saying that that's what this record has been. It, it's a thing that helps lead you through it and, and out the other side into to suddenly then be able to look back and go, that was, that was, that was crazy. But I'm look where I am now. I'm at, I'm on the other side of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, I think I, I feel fortunate that I, I had that as an artist, to to do something with all of these feelings and everything that I was going through and find a place to actually try and work through it. You know, Mm -hmm. this is a release in some sort of way. And, and it certainly did help. Uh, that being said, like, I don't know, putting it out there in this way, I don't think I've ever been so yeah, brutally honest. And it is a bit, it is a bit daunting like going back to those places. Yeah. Even recording the songs was, was difficult because I tried to really be in it. I tried to really think about, you know, where I was when I wrote those lyrics and, and, and put it into the album. And, and so, uh, I'm sure playing some of the songs live will, will be a bit of a struggle, Mm. but I think, uh, I hope that's what people will connect with on it is, and, by maybe allowing myself to be so vulnerable with this stuff, you know, I think there's, hopefully that's what people can connect with is their own struggles that are similar. Yeah, I think so. And I think um, when I hear it, it feels so real. It feels like without keep going back to like, like sounding like some weird Crowley nut, but the idea of like you know crossing the abyss and and facing it and coming through, I think that's when people reach another level. You know, you talking about your struggles and how you cope with those and going to rehab, and then I feel like when you talk about these things and in the way that you have, yeah, it will be tough. And I feel like this is this is going to be the tough part. Like you said, I think playing the songs will be tough as well, but. But having someone go, oh, what's that about? Oh, what's the song about your dad dropping you off at rehab? Do you know what I mean? It's almost like if people don't connect and realize that it is so real and vulnerable, I don't know, dealing with people who are just like, cool, you've got a new record. Do you know what I mean? Well, I'm like, sure there will be some of that. Yeah. But uh, that- hopefully there's not too much of that. But I think, uh, I don't know. I think the way, you know, the way, like the way through to the other side is, is going through it, is addressing it, is speaking to it. And, uh, and yeah, not looking at struggle as some sort of failure. Yeah, not at all. Uh, you know, I think by, by addressing a lot of things that are, are difficult in your life and, uh, you know, it's a very powerful thing. And, and you know, you can only stuff things down for so long yeah. before 
as you said before, it cracks open. Mm. And so, so yeah, I mean, I, um, I think it'll be good to, to, to go through it all and relive it a bit and be as a a reminder to myself of where I want to be and not where I was at. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. See, this, this is the other thing with, that I find quite interesting in about my lack of understanding of the Grateful Dead. Cause to me, all I know about that band really is like, I know a couple of songs, sure, but it's the, um, not the mystique, but like the culture around the band and it being, you know, like, oh, they're the band where people would travel around the whole of the U S following them and doing like a ton of psychedelics and it's a weird one because I know that those things can be super, um, can be really helpful at times when things need to be sorted out. But the flip side of that is they can also be like pouring gasoline on top of a barbecue. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. Uh, yeah, it's interesting. Like, I mean, I've, I've done a lot of psychedelics. Mm. Um, and you know, I think when I was doing them the most consistently, I was trying to leave planet earth. Mm. Like I was trying to not be in my body, in my mind. I wanted to be somewhere else because I was having a difficult time dealing with what was going on. But really it's bringing forward all the things maybe you don't want to deal with or the things that are stuffed down the most yeah, in your mind. Uh, so I think a lot of that kind of had the, the complete polar opposite effect of me trying to, to run from things and just like ended up running toward them. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's interesting. I think, uh, you know, psychedelics can certainly, be used in a positive context or you know like anything they can be overdone (laughs) i did them in both capacities (laughs) yeah yeah man it's it's funny isn't it because like as you said like the well the the idea that it's like in an ideal world those things and those um like those molecules you'd go okay right i've uh, here's some things I need to work through. Uh, I'm going to use a bunch of different tools to do that. One of which will be this, some kind of like entheogen. And and uh, and this is my mindset of how I'm going to reach the point to, to have the clarity of understanding like a lot of these things, which are just literally kicking my subconscious in the balls over and over and over and over. So that's great to look at it that way. However, there's also the the, the, <laughs> the other side of it where you're like, here we go, <laughs> as you said, where you're like, yeah, I just need to escape away from everything right now. And then as you're leaving, you suddenly realize that what you're heading towards is a giant fucking neon screen of all the <laughs> of all those things. Yeah, um, that you're you're trying to escape from. Yeah, that's a tough one, man. I'm glad that you're good. Yeah, it feels nice to be 
to be sober. Yeah. And uh and healthy. And it's uh it's good. I mean I certainly uh a strange thing happens when I say I'm sober is people either start talking to me about how they need to stop doing drugs or whatever and you know, it's certainly not a judgment on what anybody else is doing. Mm. Um but I think for me, uh I don't know, it's been a it's been a very, very positive thing. And especially able to just focus on the things that I want to focus on and not get dragged somewhere else. Yeah. So how long has it been now? It's about a year and a half. Great. I think, uh, you know, there's been a lot, there was like a lot of stretches of my like, my 20s where I was sober, but I don't think I felt great about it. I think I felt like I was missing out on something. Yeah. Um, and that's probably because a lot of the guys I idolized growing up playing music were all junkies that died. And I honestly thought that was very cool. Yeah. And when I was young enough, I'd imagine, I think I just assumed the same thing would happen to me. Mm. And, uh, and then it didn't. And uh, Good. It's great. It's great it didn't happen. It's crazy, right? Because, I, I mean, I'm not sure if we've had this conversation, but I've had this conversation with so many friends, and you, you go, there feels like there's this cycle, of which is like this weird romantic idea that it's like, well, look at Darby Crash. Look at David Bowie. Look at Iggy Pop. Actually, Darby Crash is a terrible example because that didn't work out well at all. But... You know, like Bowie and and um, and Iggy were like these kind of functioning, and Lou Reed were these people that were doing ridiculous amounts of drugs, and then it becomes like, oh, well, you know why they're so great is because they do all those drugs, and it's like, no, I don't think that's true, but I think the thing is, when you're a kid, it is um, it's easy to fall into that trap and go, oh, right, yeah, okay you know, great art and and drugs are intertwined. And I think, yeah, that's a slippery slope, man. I think we've probably, everyone's probably been there that's been in our world that has those moments where they, they'll have a real wobble or 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 more than that. And and there's there's that realisation that it's like, yeah, this, this isn't the one. We need to just... Yeah, I mean, maybe there's a lot of ideas that yeah great art is comes out of pain mm. and uh i mean you know being in that zone is certainly really painful but that's just not the case you know mm. it's uh as you said with all those musicians that you just name checked you know like you know nick, nick cave didn't get bad when he stopped doing heroin <laughs> Correct. You know, and I'm sure he had a similar I'm sure he had a similar concept of probably some jazz musicians he loved when mm. he was, you know, younger that like, well, you know, all these guys were on heroin, so it's part of the thing that I should do. That's my shtick. And then yeah, and hopefully people see the other side of it. And I mean, I've never done heroin, so I'm happy it didn't get to that zone. Yeah. But uh but yeah, I don't know. There's no there's no glory in in that. Yeah. And uh yeah, I don't know. I 
I'm happy. Uh, I'm happy. I feel like I've come out the other side of the the dark zone, and and yeah, that I can focus on making music with my friends. Yeah, man, I agree. So, what's going to be happening with the record? Like, I know that, like, the first song comes out as we're doing this. It comes out. Wait, what day is it today? Song comes out tomorrow. Tomorrow, so Wednesday, twenty sixth. Yeah, to coincide with the blood moon lunar eclipse. Hippie, hippie shit. Um, and then uh, the record will be out this summer. And yeah, so I mean, I'm not in the hugest rush to get back on the road. I kind of want to see what happens with everything. Mm. So I'm gonna, uh, you know, probably in the meantime, like record some live sessions. And stuff and just try and focus on sharing a bunch of stuff with this record with people and then uh yeah and then when it when it feels right i'm gonna you know i'm definitely gonna tour this a lot yeah it's not gonna be just a, it's not just a like a one-off thing i'd love to get like around the world on this yeah i agree but at the same time um i think it would be fine even if it was just that i i want to see it from my perspective, like as a, as a, somebody that enjoys the record. But what I'm also saying is that I think it feels like it's, it exists and it's done its job almost. I also see it that it's something that is clearly like the key opening a door to a whole, it sounds really cheesy to say it like this, but like a whole other chapter now, I think because it's well, I think it could I think it could allow me to play with some artists that I've never played with and exist in a space that my music career hasn't existed in. Yeah. Which is always exciting, you know. Doing new things is always exciting and and just the nature of the songs on this record lends itself to some more kind of free form playing. Mm. And I'd love to, you know, take some of these songs and just go off on a tangent and and jam and kind of see where it leads us yeah which is exciting it's it's new it's different it's exciting all the um and just even like you know just going on tour with a like an organ player and like maybe bringing a extra percussionist and having a big band so we can you know pull this stuff all off live and playing different instruments and playing slide guitar and and like lap steel and just new territory. Yeah. What do you think 17-year-old Wade would have made of the record? I think he, he'd, be dis- he'd be disgusted. You think, though? <laughs> I don't know. I mean, I've always I've always loved a lot of different things, but um, 17-year-old Wade had a... He had two wallet chains, right? <laughs> <laughs> But same side or different sides? Same side, one longer yeah. than the other. And he had a pretty rigid idea of what punk music was allowed to be. Okay? There you go. We've come back to that. And it wasn't allowed to, it wasn't allowed to be this. That's funny. But it is. This record's punk as fuck. And 17-year-old Wade, even though he did have a blood for blood windbreaker, he was wrong about this. <laughs> amazing well 
I'm stoked on it, man. And I'm and I'm I'm stoked we get to catch up and I'm stoked to see you where you are. Thank you very much, Dan. Love you, mate. Love you. Take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to episode 40 of Someone Who Isn't Me. Much love and thanks to Wade. As I said at the start, Doom's children have one single online so far called Flower Moon, and you can check that out and the accompanying video now. The self-titled debut's due uh, soon on Dine Alone. Um, it's tight. And you can follow at Doom's children on Instagram. Wade is at Wade McNeil. Pod is at Swim Podcast. I am at Daniel P. Carter. Like and subscribe, yada, yada. That'd be nice, wouldn't it? Peace. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.